Welcome to Fusion Student Ministries. We hope this message equips and encourages you. As you know, we've been in a series called What Happened. So how, have you, how many of you have been here since that started? Let me, let me see, because this might be a little, a little repeat for you guys. But for those of you who haven't been, and this might be your first time here, or maybe last week was your first time, we're in a series um, called What Happened. And, and really what that means is we're sharing a lot of messages on the same theme. And, and what happened is... Whenever somebody who, let's say they don't know Jesus or they really don't have a relationship with Jesus, when they come into a relationship with Jesus, it causes them and the people around them to ask the question, what happened? And usually that's a result of things changing in their life. I mean, maybe they have like a, a new faith or maybe they're starting to go to church more or maybe they were struggling with something and now they're not or, you know, there, it can be a number of things. And the what happened in, in, in the Bible is called a testimony. And so really, a, everybody has a different testimony. Um, mine looks different than, than Jonathan's, and, and, and me and Jonathan's testimony looks different than, than Eric's. And so everybody's is different, but it's supposed to be that way. God wants us to have a unique experience and a unique encounter with him. And so in going into that, it's always encouraging um, and, it, and it, it's faith building and it raises our expectations whenever we hear other people's testimony and, and what God did in their life or what happened in their life. Right. And so um, I wanted to put one more verse up uh, to kind of start the night. Um, was it Matthew seven, Mariela? Matthew seven. Here we go. And so it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so a takeaway when it applies to testimonies is the rock is Jesus. And so you're on one side of a testimony. Maybe your testimony is, I don't know Jesus. That was mine for a long time. Or maybe your testimony is, I've always known Jesus, right? I grew up in church knowing Jesus. And there's also a viewpoint from both sides of the, of the spectrum. Let me explain what I mean by that. I grew up not knowing Jesus, and I would see people who did, and I, I saw stability. I saw something that I didn't have, and, and I, I realize now that that was the rock. That was Jesus that they had. And, and later on in life, when I got to talking to them, what, what I was missing was what they had, and, and I had my own what happened experience. Does that make sense, guys? And so some people are on the other side of that spectrum to where they always grow up with that stability. And so their life shows the fruit of that, but they still have a what happened scenario. Because like we saw, the winds come and the floods, you know, the floods came, the winds blew. Whether you're, 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 your house is built on Jesus or not, whether your life is built on Jesus or not, those things still happen. The difference maker is the rock, right? The difference maker is, is Jesus in your life. And so throughout this series, I've really been enjoying every leader has been speaking and, and sharing what happened in their life. And there's not one that's been the same. 
and it's encouraging me. It's, uh, it's really feeding me and, and giving me a lot of good perspective. And, and I know I hear from a lot of you guys have come and told me how much you're enjoying it. And so we're going to actually, it's the second to last night of the series tonight. Um, and we're going to have uh, Josh and Macy Menard share with you guys. And so, Macy, you want to you wanna go first? Y'all give Macy a hand. Hello. Hi. Um, like Brady said, my name is Macy, and I'm married to Josh, who you will be hearing from next. I'm extremely nervous. <laughs> Speaking is not my thing, with or without a mic. So um, when I was in school, one of my worst grades was speech, and I had just passed the class, and I really think she gave me the grade because she felt bad for me. So just give me some grace. Um, when preparing for tonight, I started to think about the different kind of testimonies that I heard, and um, I think there's two types. One that has a lot of ups and downs, kind of like a roller coaster, and then there's some that are just kind of steady, and that's kind of how mine is. There's not a lot of ups and downs, but um, it's pretty steady, and because um, my relationship with God started at a very young age, I'm going to focus on um, kind of like a turning point with my relationship with God, and I'm going to start by uh, telling a little story that um, happened whenever I was really young. And when I was three years old, um, my mom's mother passed away. And I don't really remember her. I have very vague memories of her. Um, but three days after she passed, um, I woke up and I told my mom that I went to, to Mexico with my grandmother the night before. And um, so she just heard me out. And, you know, obviously that was impossible for a three-year-old to go to Mexico. But later on in life, she told me that she kind of was convinced that, you know, I went. In some way, she thought maybe God made that happen for me in like a dream or a vision. And so fast forward um, many years later, when I was 14 years old, um, I went to a conference in Baton Rouge. And um, I was praying and I felt like God was telling me I was going to be a missionary and specifically in Mexico, and that was a really overwhelming thought that, you know, I could could be a missionary one day, and so, um, but I was also really excited, because at that time, all I wanted to know was, what's my calling going to be in life, and so I shared that with um, one of my leaders at the time, and she heard me out, and she said, be careful, because I thought the same for my life, and it didn't end up working out, so that was really discouraging for me, um, and I was also a little embarrassed that I shared that, and I kind of got cut down, and I know that she had her best intentions. She, she was probably just trying to protect me, but um, also was really discouraged, not necessarily for the fact that I possibly wouldn't be a missionary, but the fact that maybe my relationship with God wasn't as strong as I thought it was, and so I just started to question myself, and, you know, did I really hear from God? Was it just my thoughts? Um, you know, have I ever heard from God? Did I really have that strong of a relationship with him? And I started to look around me at the time, and everybody knew their calling. Everybody knew who they were going to marry. Everybody knew how many kids they were going to have. And it's like, why am I not like them? Why isn't my path that clear? And um, so I, I just started to also question my ability to be used by God. If I was going to be a missionary, what could I possibly bring to the table? Um, I couldn't speak the language. I tried to take Spanish in, um, 
in school, and I, I just could not get it. And, you know, I wasn't a good speaker, so I didn't see myself being a preacher. Um, I wasn't going to school to be a doctor, so I couldn't see myself helping people. So what could I possibly bring to the table that someone else couldn't bring? Um, but during this time, I never questioned God's existence. I always had a really strong relationship with God, and I had a lot of faith in God. From a very young age, I was super passionate about God. And I, even, I have a picture, if Mariella wants to put it up, of whenever I was little. Um, I was super passionate about worship. And um, there's nothing you could tell me. Like, I was not going to stop worshiping God. That was me. And that was completely genuine. Um, there was this little girl that came up to me. I got made fun of all the time because I was really little and no one understood why I would worship. And a um, little girl came to me and she's like, you're not supposed to be worshiping right now. It's prayer time. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I went go tell on her. I was like, I can worship whenever I want to. Um, you can take it down. Um, so I never questioned God's existence. Um, I always knew in my soul that he was real. And that moment at that conference didn't necessarily change my view on God. It changed my thought pattern. And um, I threw everything that could be false or impossible out the window. And um, I became a more literal person whenever it came to Christianity. And that made me put up a wall that I didn't know at the time I was putting up. But I put this wall up from all these cliche scripture verses and anything that could be fake or whatever. I just started building up this wall and just became super literal and wanted to know exactly what God was saying because I didn't want to mess up. And um, I've been trying to take that, down, that wall down for a very long time. And I never lost my hunger for God, but I, was tr- getting tr- uh, I had trouble getting breakthroughs because I had that wall up. So um, that, was, that conference was the summer before I entered into school. And uh, at that point, I had been homeschooled for about four years. So I was entering back into school. I was entering into a high school And not only was I entering into a high school, I was entering into a a very unique uh, situation. And um, the school was called ECA, which is Early College Academy. Some of you may have heard of it, and some of you may have not. And if you haven't, basically what Early College Academy is, um, you go through your regular years of high school inside of a community college. So at the same time, you're working on your two-year degree at college. And so it it jammed up... (laughs) It jammed up six years worth of schooling in four. And so it was um, a very stressful school, but um, ever since we walked onto campus, they consistently drilled in our heads that we needed to know what we were going to be when we grew up. And um, if we didn't know what we were going to be, we were going to waste our time. We were going to take classes that we didn't need. And so they wanted us to make sure we knew what we wanted to do. But this is kind of how my thought pattern was at that time. How am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to do if I want to walk in God's will, but I didn't know what God's will was because I couldn't hear from God and I had to be careful because if he was talking to me, I might not be actually hearing from him. It's a very unhealthy thought process, but I was constantly overthinking things and I wanted so badly to do God's will and I wanted so badly to make the right decisions, but I wasn't allowing God to work in my life. So as I went through school, I was extremely anxious because I didn't know what I was going to do. And I kind of just settled with something in art because that's what I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed doing art. And 
towards the end of my school, I decided I was going to be a graphic designer, just something easy to get me through. And when people asked me what I was going to be, I just said I was going to be a graphic designer. And that's what I was going to go to school for. Until I got to my senior year, I took my ACT, and I took it three times, and I could not get over a 20. Actually, I couldn't get over a 19. So <laughs> I didn't think that it was worth going to school without the help. Um, I had the grades, but I didn't have the ACT grade. And so um, I talked to some graphic designers, and they said that it wasn't really worth going to school. It wasn't worth paying for it, because by the end of it, you didn't really know anything. You didn't have experience in it, so it just wasn't worth the time. So I decided I wasn't going to um, UL. And because I made that decision, um, I made that decision myself. Nobody told me that I shouldn't go to school. I could have went, but um, I decided I wasn't going to go, and I kind of got to a low point. Um, I felt like because I didn't get my four-year degree, um, I wasn't qualified for anything. Um, I was super discouraged, um, and I felt like any job that I wanted, I didn't have enough job experience for. Um, so I just sulked in that negativity, and um, I would just think over and over about this negative thought pattern, and um, just thought about things that I couldn't change. And I would complain about the things that I could change, but I wouldn't do anything about. Um, now, I know this now, and I wish I would have applied it then, uh, but one of the most important things I've learned is to take my thoughts captive. And um, that's uh, referring to uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments in, in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive. We take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Um, this is extremely hard for me, but I realized that I couldn't live in that negative mindset. And um, I got to a point to where I, had, I was constantly fighting with my mind, and I had to just sit down and, you know, realize, you know, there's three things it could be. It could be the enemy feeding me lies. Um, it could also be just me. Sometimes the enemy comes, and he does his work, and he goes away, and you take over his job, and that's kind of where I was, you know, just constantly feeding myself lies. I didn't even need the enemy's help. I was doing it myself. And, you know, there's also God. And if you're not in, if you're not constantly praying and worshiping and reading your Bible, you know, you're not going to necessarily, you could hear for God, but it's going to be hard to, you know, find him in the midst of all your, you know, negativity and lies that you're just settling in your head and um, and I had looked back on my life from that point at that conference and now, and I look back and just realize how much I stopped reading my Bible and I stopped praying and I, you know, stopped worshiping and, you know, I did it at church, but in my own personal time, I wasn't doing that. And so I just allowed myself to get to this point to where it was easy for me to just get anxious and get nervous and get scared and fearful and just feed myself all these negative thoughts because I didn't have a solid rock anymore. I wasn't feeding my relationship with God. And so that's where I am right now. I'm working on my prayer life and getting back into that routine because I don't want to live in that negative mindset anymore. And, you know, we never really arrive and I'm not perfect. And 
Um, and unfortunately, we don't arrive until the end of our lives. And, you know, the ultimate goal for me is when it's all said and done, for God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And for me to be able to say, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. And so to go back to, in closing, um, back to that question, which I'm sure I've answered, but, you know, am I supposed to be a missionary? I don't know. Um, but it is something I'm super passionate about. And I don't necessarily need that title, missionary, to be a part of missions. And I've been a part of um, three, uh, two mission trips, and I've been to three countries. I've been to Honduras, and I've been to Haiti, and I've been to the Dominican Republic. And at the end of um, September, I actually I got blessed with a trip to Mexico. So I'm finally getting to go and, you know, make that dream happen. And it's going to be my first time there on the mission field. And, you know, whether I come back with answers or, you know, I figure out anything there, I don't really care because I really, all I can ask of God is, you know, use me in any way I can. Even though my list seems like I can't really help out that much, really just use me in any way you can. And that will always be my prayer. Use me, God, and lead me towards your will. So thank you for listening. That's part of my story. Wow, yeah, Macy, that was awesome. Yeah, you make a great, she makes a great point about, you know, our testimony is not just an event, it's, a, it's, a, it's your life. You know, your life is a testimony. And man, there's no one soul arrival until you arrive in the presence of God. And so that's, that's such a powerful testimony. That's what I'm talking about. Everybody's story is different, and it's going to be different, and, and yours is going to be different, but everybody's story has different power. You know, everybody's story has the power of a testimony. And so, yeah, thanks, Macy. Awesome job. Loved it. So up next is, is Macy's husband, Josh. So come on up. Give Josh a hand. What's up? Yeah, that would be great. It's here. I've been dreading this moment for a long time. I've actually been excited about it, but um, when it comes to actually speaking, uh, I don't like it. So y'all bear with me. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, as y'all notice, thanks, buddy. Um, as y'all notice, most of the testimonies, in fact, almost all of them, uh, come from a church kid's perspective, which I think is relevant because most of you are church kids. I'm looking around, and I've been seeing a lot of these faces for a long time. In fact, according to statistical analysis, if you are in this room right now and under the age of 18, congratulations, you're now a church kid. So... Anyway, um, so I, I just wanted to point out the most conservative numbers. I looked up some t statistics since the 1990s, and the most conservative numbers that I found is the, on the dropout rate of church kids in the evangelical church. Um, the most conservative statistics I found is that 70% of students that are involved in some sort of high school ministry quit going to church by the time they're done with college, which is mind-blowing. And it kind of ties in, I'm going to get into some more numbers, but kind of ties into my testimony as, as I'm going to go along. So anyway, y'all bear with me. I might chase some rabbits, but um, let's hope I don't catch any. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I just want to start off with my story, um, just the beginning. Um, surprise, surprise, I'm a church kid. Uh, I was I was brought up in church. In fact, my definition of being a church kid is probably a very extreme 
definition. My parents were heavily, heavily involved in church. And um, just to give you, um, when I was when I was really young, I was very, very active. I had just an insane amount of energy. Um, so people would always say, man, y'all need to go get Josh checked. You know, he's ADHD for sure. You know, y'all need to go to the doctor. So anyway, so they, they decided to take me to the doctor and get evaluated. And no surprise there, come to find out I'm ADHD with hyperactivity. So the doctor said, you need to put him on medicine or he's going to fall behind in school and he's, you know, going to have disciplinary problems. And they said, no, we're not going to receive that diagnosis, which was very popular in the 90s. Um, <laughs> they didn't receive the diagnosis and they, um, they said, we're just going to homeschool him and not give him, you know, ADD medicine and just, you know, use the ADD medicine was a paddle, basically. So anyway, um, so a typical week for me, like I said, I was, I was a church kid, but I also, uh, I was homeschooled, but I had a, a very active social life. A typical week for me, my dad played on the worship team, so on Monday nights, um, we would have worship practice, so I got to hang out with my friends whose parents were involved in the worship team. Uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, he played with a uh, country singer, uh, Christian country singer, Ken Holloway. And so, hang out with more church people. On Wednesdays, he was very involved in the youth group um, in my earlier years. And so, I would watch their worship practice, and then I would go to Royal Rangers and tie knots and play football and, you know, those things. And um, on Fridays, they had a Bible study, so got to see more church people. Um which, like I said, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Church people are great. I love y'all. So um, on Saturdays, until they built the main sanctuary, um, we had a Saturday night service. So I would go with my dad to church, watch them practice, either go to children's church or listen to the service. Um, in fact, I, I see my Uncle Todd sitting back there. My Uncle Todd actually used to scare me when I was a little kid because he was so passionate. Can y'all see that? He would scream a lot, and I was, it's kind of scared me at the time, but anyway, that's, that's a rabbit, um, so, um, and then on Sundays, of course, um, Sundays, we had two services, so I would go sit in one service and go to Children's Church, and after they had, um, this is exhausting, um, after they had um, youth life groups that my parents both led, and I would go to that, so anyway, I was very actively involved, I wasn't um, a social hobbit, um, very, very active social life. And I would consider myself saved, but um, really I don't know what I would consider myself saved from because I was kind of living in bubble wrap, which was a good thing because, you know, you need to protect your innocence growing up. But like I said, I really hadn't been tested at all. So flash forward to my seventh grade year, um, I began to really make the push with my parents that, you know, I, I wanted to play football. And that was something I was passionate about. I was going to play in the NFL. And um, just like the rest of my plans that I came up with myself, that didn't happen, um, obviously. So, um, so anyway, so I began to make the push. I was passionate about it. And, and they just said, we're going to pray about it. So flash forward a little bit, my um, eighth grade, the summer of my eighth grade year going into freshman year, I was at the beach with some good friends of mine, Ian Willis and Jonathan Smith. They were set to start private school the following Monday when we got back. I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I was still just going to be homeschooled. So, one second. So anyway, so we're at the beach. We're in Destin. 
Um, my mom calls the condo because we didn't have cell phones then and lets me know, hey, you're going to be starting the, right when you get back at Erath High School, which is a public high school, um, you know, on Monday. It's like, oh, okay. Um, what, what do I need to do? She was like, well, you missed orientation. Orientation was last week. So I was like, okay, what's, what's an orientation? So um, she explained, well, basically you get to meet your teachers, finalize your schedule, and see where all your classes are so you're not late. Uh, so I missed that. Yeah. So <laughs> I was uh, off on the right foot. She's like, well, that's not the only thing. The other thing is um, you're going to miss the first two days of school. School starts on a Thursday. Who starts, starts school on a Thursday? What's the point of that? Anyway, rabbit. Um, so anyway, you're going to miss the first two days of school. And I was like, well, man, I'm not really off to a good start. My first two days of my high school career, I'm going to miss. She's like, well, we're just going to consider, you know, they're going to consider you enrolled on the Monday. So you'll start there. So I was like, okay, what am I going to wear? She's like, I got a call coming in. Um, uh, I'll, I'll see you when you get back on Sunday night. So that um, the rest of my vacation was spent thinking about what high school was going to be like. So flash forward a couple of days forward, um, Monday morning, um, I walk up on campus wearing the most lame public school uniform you can ever imagine. Um, it was from Sears, I believe. Um, it was about nine sizes too big for me. Um, pleated khaki shorts, and um, I wasn't very proud of my outfit. It was terrible. I didn't know how to fix my hair then. And my mom bought my school supplies too. She bought, on the school supply list, it said one to two inch binders. She bought like three and a half inch binders for every subject and stuffed it into the, to this day, the biggest book sack I've ever seen, like bursting at the seams. So I'll walk up two strapping, which wasn't cool then. I think it's cool now, but I'm two strapping and I walk in and I just see a, fa um, a sea of 600 faces without a single familiar face. And they're all looking at me because I'm the new kid and 600, you know, that's not very big, but for me it was, that was huge. So looking at 600 people and I'm just I'm just in shock. And I remember mom saying, pray for favor. Pray that you get favor with your teachers and that you make new friends. And I was like, Pfft. I thought that was lame at the time. Well, I began to silently do spiritual warfare for favor. <laughs> I wanted friends. I wanted to blend in. And I wanted everybody to quit looking at me. So anyway, uh, actually, um, it was kind of hard to blend in because out of 600 students, two of them were Catholic. I weren't Catholic. Let me rephrase that. Out of all the students, 200 weren't Catholic. So we had different beliefs at the time, and, and um, I just was silent, and I just didn't really say much, and I just wanted to blend in, like I said. So um, I, I did well. I got, I got accepted into the, the good crowd, which prevented me from having any unnecessary peer pressure, you know, my first couple of years of school. Um, so flash forward. Um, you know, a couple of years later, my junior year British literature, we were talking about the Protestant Reformation. And I'm just shocked at all these, these facts. I, I didn't know that Catholicism was regarded as the first religion. I had only known what I had been taught. So I'm in, I'm in deep thought thinking, you know, okay, so King James was a guy who adopted Catholicism in order to have a divorce, and that was the first Bible translation in English. I'm in deep thought. 
Okay, because I had never heard a lot of these things that I was hearing for the first time, obviously. And um, out of the blue, somebody that was sitting in the front row turned around and said, Josh, why aren't you Catholic? And my response, um, my response scared me because my response was, I don't know. It's how I was raised. You know, in movies when like a bomb goes off and the camera gets shaky and, and you hear this like white noise or, or um, you know, the buzzing of the ears and stuff like that. That's what happened to me. It was like, it's how I was raised. So I realized at that moment that, okay, and, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with, with Catholicism. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, we believe it's, it's very, very, um, very similar in a lot of ways. But at the time I realized that if I would have been born Catholic, I would still be Catholic. And I was so heavy in thought that I remember a couple of nights later laying in bed at night and thinking, if I was born and raised Muslim, I would still be Muslim. If I was born and raised atheist, I would still be an atheist. I had never learn for myself what I believed and why I believed it. So, um, I just want to, um, I was scared to open up doors and really question what I believed and why I believed it, uh, because I just stuck to the generic, you know, and I say generic because that's what it was in my head. Have faith. Just, you know, just, just trust that everything is you know, the way it was told to you and just, just have faith. And I just want to point out, this was a revelation that really changed things for me, is there's a huge difference between faith and ignorance. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. Based on merely human rules that have been taught. So I just want to emphasize that, you know, by the grace of God, you know, I'm standing here today. Um, it was not anything on my own power. Um, thank God. So I just want to point out, it gets back to some statistic, statistics. Let me drink some water real quick. Um, like I said earlier, um, the most conservative statistic I found since the 90s says that 90% of high school students will leave the faith by the time um, they finish college. Uh, according to Reggie McNeil, author of The Present Future, Six Tough Questions for the Church, 90% of youth active in high school church programs drop out of church by the time they are sophomores in college. Um, I did my own statistical analysis because I have a calculator on my iPhone. And I, what I did was I basically I made a list of 20 of my best friends that I grew up with in church. 20 most frequent people in my memories, and I realized that only three of them were left in church. And you guys know one of them, Elijah. Elijah was the other, the other one that's still in church to this day. And, um, you know, that's an 85% drop-off. So, basically, I'm not sure how many people are in this room, but if there was 50 students in this room, best-case scenario, 15 students will not leave church. Uh, by my own advanced statistical analysis, 8.5 students will not leave. Worst case scenario, five students will remain. That's heavy. Look around and don't judge on who you think 
won't be around because I promise you me and Elijah would have been the la- the first ones you would have crossed off your list. You know, so anyway, um, now I want to clarify that I hate statistics and specifically I hate these statistics. Um, I want more than anything to prove these statistics wrong going forward. Um, so going forward, I want to address two questions that I had. What happens to the what happened to the ones that slipped away? And why am I still here? So what I did was I talked to my friends that I still had contact with out of the people in that list. And I talked to them and I, and I asked them questions on why they slipped away. Um, and I got a couple of things, I got a couple of, made a couple of different categories. One was they decided that God is real, but they don't have to serve him to the extreme that their parents did. Um, the second group is they grew callous to the things of God. They grew numb and they grew apathetic. Um, my opinion, those two fall in the same kind of group um, because they tried to serve God based off their own understanding of who God was. Um, although they heard the unadulterated gospel over a thousand times, they tried to do, their, do it on their own. Their worship of him was based merely on human rules that had been taught. They realized that they couldn't do it on their own, and instead of allowing the grace of God to cover their shortcomings, they chose to buy into a lie. This lie led to them to either justify their sins or hardening their hearts. Uh, the fa- final category almost happened to me in this moment, um, as well as uh, growing callous and, and numb. But this almost happened to me, and I'm super passionate about this. I just want to tell you all a story real quick. My mom grew up as a middle child. Uh, one night, um, well, I say one night, Christmas Eve, she decided to get up and check and see if Santa Claus had eaten the cookies that they had left. What she found was her parents and her older sister preparing the gifts that were from Santa Claus. And she saw this and she was devastated and she went away to her room and didn't say anything. As she was laying in her room, she, I guess the enemy began to torment her and as well as her own thoughts. And she, she made the she came to the conclusion that if Santa Claus wasn't real, then the Easter Bunny wasn't real. And if the Easter Bunny wasn't real, then there's no way that God can be real. Because it was all things that she had been told. And so she made the very extreme decision, I didn't grow up believing in Santa Claus. Which, like I said, um, I think Santa Claus is cool now. But that was her, you know, her reasoning. And I respect that. Um... Because of that, they decided that they never wanted me to feel lied to. And they did their best on that. But how did I come to a place to where I felt lied to? They did their best to make sure that never happened. But somehow the enemy tormented with me with the fact that, you know, I felt lied to. I felt like everything I had learned, you know, like, I didn't see the whole picture. I'm not, I didn't know that what I learned was, was real or false. I just didn't know. I just realized that there was a big world out there. And um, a lot of students fall into that category. In college, psychology, sociology, and even biology professors feel called to shatter your Christian ideology by making you feel lied to. According to a 2006 study, they found that 25% of college professors are agnostic or atheist. Only 5% of the American culture considers themselves to be agnostic or atheist. So 25% of college professors 
consider themselves to be agnostic and atheist. Um, let's see. Um, get this. Only 6% of college professors believe that the Bible is the actual word of God. This is my observation, but that means that 94% of college professors bought into a lie. And those are the people that are trying to shatter the foundation that, that you, were, you were raised on and, the, and what, you, you know, what you know is as, as real. And I experienced God, but I forgot. <laughs> I felt like maybe I just made that up in my head at this point in time. And I'm so thankful that it happened when it did because I wasn't in college yet. I was able to do it, you know, I was able to shut out outside influences and and search after God for who he was and not try to put him in a box and also not get, uh, you know, a lot of lies thrown my way. So what happened to me? Why did I not fall away? Um, I begged for God to reveal himself to me in a real way. I didn't want to put him in a box, like I just said. I just wanted him to reveal himself to me. For me personally, it took a while for me to get answers and to gain understanding. Although my heart was pure, my prideful, self-righteous, the I have, my, I have all the answers mentality, and at times it still is a major obstacle. When I finally reached the point of brokenness, God revealed himself to me. The beauty of brokenness is that we realize that the answers we have discovered on our own and the answers that we have been taught are useless. I started off looking for my own answers to my own questions, and I ended up finding the answers to all of life's questions. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. I was lost, and when I came to terms with the fact that I was lost with myself and with God, the Holy Spirit gave me supernatural revelation of the path of righteousness. He's the truth. When I was confused and bound by the lies of the enemy, the Holy Spirit gave me supernatural revelation and the truth set me free. He's the life. When I was weary and on the verge of giving up of ever having my own relationship with God, the Holy Spirit filled me with life and life that had fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfiller and the fulfillment. So I want to ask you guys, where do you stand? And I want to challenge you because if you think that you have what it takes to not be a part of that 70 to 90%, if you think that you have what it takes... You can't do it on your own. If we accept that we can't do it on our own, we can reverse these numbers. If you fall in the category of numb and apathetic or calloused to the things of God, I beg you right now to begin to cry out to God to set a blaze of fire inside of you that consumes you. A fire that begins to give you fresh and supernatural revelation on, this, on the scripture verses that you may begin to rego- disregard as cliche or shallow because I did that. If you have doubts and are having a hard time rationalizing God, stop ignoring the questions. Bring them to the Lord. Don't let yourself be thrown to the wolves without being equipped with the peace that surpasses all understanding. I've been there, and and I know if you cry out to him, he will never forsake you. That's his promise. Thanks for listening, guys. Oh, man. Just like the other ones, man. Everyone is so unique, and everyone is so powerful, and um, Josh said something that, that you know, I, I was the guy 
and, and I'll share this when I share my testimony, but I was the guy that Josh was talking about whenever he said, he, you know, several percent of people are, are atheists or don't believe in God and, and all that stuff. And so, um, but, but another thing he mentioned was experience. Um, I experienced God. I experienced Jesus. And I did what he said. I just cried out to the Lord. And, I, and I'll get to the detail of all that stuff. Um, next time we, we do this, it'll be my turn. Um, but man, I just love the fact, I, I love the truth and the security to be able to say, like, there are other options out there. There's other religions all over the place. But our God's the only God who speaks. Our God, Jesus, is the only God who speaks. He's the only God who's real. He's the only God who can really deliver on, on everything he has to say. And, and I didn't think he was real, and he proved me wrong. And so it's so cool to hear the, the, the testimony from Josh and Macy and all our other leaders and their takes on, on Jesus playing a role in their life. So, you know, guys, um, next time we meet, I'm going to be going, but let's give all, let's give all the leaders a hand um, on this series. It's been awesome. It really has. That's, I love it. I love it. Um, if you missed any of the leaders, um, I want to encourage you. They're all good. Um, they're all good. I, I've listened to all of them and, and for a few that I haven't been here for, um, if you guys are familiar with podcasts, if, if you have an iPhone, I, I think you can still get that stuff on, on Androids too. Yeah. Um, if you have that, get our podcast. Uh, Fusion has a podcast. And so go check out your leader's testimonies. Go check out w- what happened to them in their life and what's going on with them in their life. And, and man, it really answers a whole lot of questions you might have about, hey, why, why are you here? Why are you helping out in Fusion? Why are you a leader here? And, and all that type of stuff. And, uh, and guys, on the heels of, of our testimonies, I want to encourage you. That's why we're here. That's why, that's why I do this for my life. That's why your leaders give so much of their time. It's because we want, we want to be a part of, of what you guys are doing and what God is doing in your life and, and the questions that you might have and all that type of stuff. How's that sound? Are that cool, guys? Yeah? Well, all right. Well, let's pray, guys. It's a little after eight. We're going to close out. But I want you to just close your eyes. I love closing my eyes when I pray because it really helps me focus on, on, on my prayer and really helps me focus on trying to hear what God is saying if he's speaking to me in that moment. So, Jesus, I just pray for every student in here. Lord, I, I know that you know right where everybody's at. You know every season of life that people in this room are in, and you know the expectations that, that, that we have, you know the desires that we have, you know all that stuff. And so, God, I pray that you would meet us all right where we are. God, I pray that you would draw us all into the next step of our relationship with you, whatever that next step looks like. We're all at a different place, but, God, we want to know you more. Jesus, we want to have a a real relationship with you, and we want to grow in that relationship with you. And so, God, I just pray that you would lead everybody in that direction. You draw everybody in a deeper relationship. And lastly, God, I just pray that your hand of protection would be over all the students here. God, I pray that you'd keep them safe physically and spiritually and the whole nine yards, God, and until we see them next time. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Oh, also I want to pray. School starts. When school start, guys? Tomorrow, some of you? Tomorrow? Yeah? Show! About to get rolling, huh? School year's here. Snap. Well, all right, Jesus, we're going to pray about that too, huh? 
All right, let's pray about that. So, guys, um, as I'm praying, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna pray for your schools. I want you to be thinking about some of your friends, your student, you know, other students there—not your students, but other students there—and um, let's lift them up too. So, God, um, in everything that we do, God, I, we want to invite you in all of it. And so, the school year is kicking off, and Lord, I pray, uh, like Josh was saying earlier, that that all the students would have favor with their teachers. God, I pray that that you would grow all the, all of the students in their work ethic. That you would grow all the students um, in in their self discipline when it comes to studying and homework and all the things that that may be burdensome. God, those disciplines translate later into life. And God, I pray that right now you'd give them a leg up in life, and that that you would help them to become greater in those areas. Lord, I pray that you give them favor with friends, and I pray that you give them uh, favor with, with influence in their friends. Lord, I pray that as they grow to know you more, their friends will want to know you more. God, I pray that you give them influence to be able to reach out to people, and I pray that people would see something in their lives that, that they themselves don't have. And Lord, I just, I just pray that you would just guide all of their school years in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, hey, I love you guys. We'll see y'all. If I don't see you Sunday, I'll see you next Wednesday. Uh, We'll do small groups and then the last night of this series. Cool deal? All right. Love you guys. Y'all take care. Be careful. Later. Again, thanks for joining us. For more info on Fusion, you can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you.